Have you ever wondered why a certain house in your neighborhood has stood abandoned for years or even decades? Or maybe you've heard about a terrible murder in your town, but you've never known exactly where it happened. Hi, I'm Jules, and welcome to Morbid Tourism, the podcast. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the true crime cases that may have happened closer to home than you thought. Warning, this podcast contains descriptions of extreme violence and sexual assault, and may be triggering for some listeners. This podcast is not recommended for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. So before we get into this week's episode, I just really quick wanted to say a huge thank you to everybody that listened to last week. I am truly overwhelmed by just the kind words from everybody and the support and um, everybody who listened and reached out. Um, It was really just a testament to how amazing the true crime community is. So thank you for listening. Um, and, and I hope that all of the rest of the episodes are just as good as episode one, if not even better. Also really quickly wanted to do a correction from last week. Um, in the middle of the episode, I called uh, Justin Weinberger, who was the perpetrator, the the rapist and murderer in um, last week's episode. I called him Jeremy a few times. Um, his name is not Jeremy. It is Justin Weinberger. So just wanted to clarify that. Um, and then I, I really quickly wanted to do a quick background on why I chose to focus on locations instead of just, you know, straight up true crime cases. Um, I don't know if it makes any sense, but I just think that it is important for us to know about these locations, even though these are awful, awful things that a lot of us wish that we could forget. You know, we owe it to the victims of these awful crimes to remember their stories and remember what happened to them at these spots. So hopefully that gives a little clarity about why I chose to focus on locations. Hopefully that makes sense to some of you. Um, if not, just please enjoy the stories that I tell. Uh, hopefully you learn something anyways. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into this week's story. We all want to trust our neighbors, but how well do we really know what goes on behind closed doors? I know I, you know, wave to my neighbors and say, how you doing? How's Joe? How are the kids? But really, once those doors are shut, once the blinds are closed, do you really know what happens? How can we be sure that how people present themselves is really the truth? This week, I'm going to be discussing a case about a family who deceived not only their neighbors, but their own family and even their doctors. In August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina made landfall and resulted in over 1,800 fatalities, and it displaced over 1 million people. In the aftermath of the hurricane, Habitat for Humanity immediately stepped up to the plate and they started building new houses for families that were affected 
not only in New Orleans, but in a bunch of surrounding cities and really all over the country. In one rural area north of Springfield, Missouri, Habitat for Humanity built over 30 homes for families. And the streets in this community had names like Volunteer Way and Hope Road. Uh, And Springfield, Missouri, it's actually the third biggest city in Missouri behind Kansas City and St. Louis. So Springfield has a population of just over 165,000 people. So it's not a huge city by any means. And this community that was built um, by Habitat for Humanity was in a pretty rural area. So the specific Habitat for Humanity house that was located at 2103 West Volunteer Way was built with a specific family in mind. So with this specific family in mind, they had a wheelchair ramp installed in the front. This uh, specific family had a daughter with special needs and she was wheelchair bound. She was unable to walk. So when Habitat for Humanity was building this home, they made sure to put in a wheelchair ramp just for her. Now, the mother's name was Dee Dee Blanchard, and her and her daughter, Gypsy Rose, moved in in 2008. Gypsy Rose was severely mentally and physically disabled, and immediately the neighbors of this mother-daughter duo saw that they were inseparable. Gypsy could socialize, she could talk to people, but wherever Gypsy was, Dee Dee was close behind. Dee Dee was a single mother and she was super outgoing and reached out to all of her neighbors when she moved in um, and really made a point to get to be a part of the community. You know, she had had struggles her whole life, especially with her daughter having these special needs. And so her community really stepped up. The neighborhood would come over and they would help with anything that the Blanchards needed, whether it was just you know, mowing the lawn or helping out with really whatever they needed. And so they built a fairly close-knit community in this neighborhood, you know, because it had been built by Habitat for Humanity. Everyone in the neighborhood had been affected by some sort of trauma in their past. And so it was a way for them to really come together, help each other out, and start to rebuild their lives. Dee Dee opened up to her neighbors and she told them all about Gypsy Rose's health struggles. And it started when Gypsy was just a toddler. According to Dee Dee, Gypsy was unable to walk and had the mental capacity of about a child, even though Gypsy was actually in her early teens. Gypsy's father, according to Dee Dee, was a drug addict. He had been out of the picture since Gypsy's birth, and Dee Dee had basically just made ends meet however she could, mostly through contributions from a lot of various charities over the years. So the pair really relied on the kindness of others to get through. And they had done okay, you know, because of Gypsy's disabilities and because of her health, Dee Dee wasn't able to work. She couldn't leave Gypsy alone ever, and they didn't have any family in the area. So really, donations and charities were all that they really relied on. Gypsy definitely had a lot of issues, and one of the major things that was pretty readily apparent was she had lost all of her teeth. She had serious gum disease based on because of some of the 
um, treatment that she had undergone and just some of her various health issues. And so all of her teeth had to be removed and a bridge had to be put in to replace them. Her growth was stunted. She was very thin and she talked with this very high childlike voice, almost as if her voice had never progressed past a child. She had had almost a dozen surgeries and just had kind of constant ongoing health concerns. There was never a point in Gypsy's life when she was just healthy. There was always something that seemed to come up. Gypsy also loved Disney movies, and so did Dee Dee, and they would watch Disney movies together and had a great time. Gypsy also had a bunch of wigs and Disney princess dresses, so she could play dress up and pretend to be a princess, and it was really sweet. Dee Dee and Gypsy were so close, and they were so close that they even shared a Facebook account. So it was pretty shocking to their friends and their neighbors when on June 14th, a post appeared on the Facebook account that said, quote, the bitch is dead. So neighbors and friends saw this Facebook post and they were immediately concerned. Obviously, something is wrong. Neither Dee Dee nor Gypsy talk this way, let alone post like that on their Facebook. So they kind of started freaking out and some of the responses to the posts were wondering if the account had been hacked or maybe the pair were watching a scary movie and they were posting something in relation to that. But overall, they were very confused as to why this was on the Facebook. A few minutes after that first post, Dee Dee and Gypsy's shared account then commented on the post, and in all caps, it said, quote, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter, dot, dot, dot. Her scream was so fucking loud, LOL, end quote. After this second comment, neighbors were convinced that something was wrong. This was absolutely not something that Dee Dee would ever post, and they didn't even think that Gypsy would be able to come up with something like that you know for for someone who has the mental capacity of a child to put something on their Facebook about raping and murder just wasn't something that could happen so the neighbors tried to go over to their house like right away and they tried to look into the windows but Dee Dee had put some tinting onto the windows so that it wouldn't get too hot in the house. And because of the tinting, the neighbors couldn't see anything inside the house. They called the police right away, but the police took a while to get a warrant in order to get into the house. But once they did, they found Dee Dee's body. She was bloody and had been stabbed multiple times while she was laying in her bed. Gypsy, though, was nowhere to be found, but her wheelchair was still at the house. Police didn't think this was a botched robbery because nothing was really stolen or turned over. It didn't look like there was any sign of forced entry. So they just thought maybe it was a targeted murder. You know, someone that knew Dee Dee came into this house with the intention of murdering her, and that's exactly what they did. But their number one concern at that point was to find Gypsy. You know, this girl, this 
young teenage girl is missing and she's severely disabled. And so they had to find her right away and make sure that she was okay. So once the police started digging into Gypsy and Dee Dee's background, it was uncovered that Gypsy had been sneaking onto their shared computer at night after Dee Dee had gone to sleep and she had signed up for some dating sites. She even created her own Facebook account without her mother knowing. So using her secret Facebook account, Gypsy had been talking to this young man around her own age named Nick Godijohn. And Nick Godijohn had a bit of a troubled past. He had run into some issues and some trouble with the law, but Gypsy really seemed to like him. Uh, the pair had actually met on a Christian singles website, and at the time of Dee Dee's death, they had been corresponding for over two years. The online conversations between the pair revealed that Gypsy was actually closer to 20 years old, and her mental capacity was much higher than Dee Dee had told people. The conversations also uncovered that many of Gypsy's ailments were actually made up by Dee Dee, including Gypsy's inability to walk. Due to their frequent moves, the doctors had basically just trusted what Dee Dee was telling them, and so they never really double-checked what Dee Dee told them about past tests that Gypsy had received or, or past ailments that she had. They basically just thought, you know, this is this poor girl's mother. We're going to go ahead and trust her. Whatever she tells us, we'll just go with. Nick Godijohn himself, he had had a criminal history, including indecent exposure. He had his own mental health issues. He had been diagnosed with autism and also disassociative personality disorder. Nick Godijohn was very interested in BDSM and he introduced Gypsy to his sexual fetishes. So in 2015, while Dee Dee was still alive, Gypsy and Nick concocted a plan where Nick would go to the same movie as Gypsy and Dee Dee and they would, quote, randomly meet at the theater and develop a real life relationship from there. They were, they'd been talking online at this point for quite a while. And so they were ready to somehow convince Dee Dee that having a real life relationship was okay for Gypsy. So they carried out their plan to meet at a theater, but instead of having Dee Dee meet Nick, Gypsy ended up taking Nick to the bathroom during the movie where the pair had sex. After that, their infatuation with each other continued to grow, and basically they placed their need to be together above everything else in their lives. By June of 2015, Gypsy was actually 23 years old, and she was fed up with lying for her mother about being younger and mentally disabled and sick. You know, at this point, her mother had been telling lies about Gypsy's health for 21 years. And so for Dee Dee then to go back and let Gypsy go, it just wasn't an option for Dee Dee. Gypsy at that point was her only source of income. She hadn't held a job in decades because she was quote-unquote caring after Gypsy Rose. And so she basically just kept Gypsy with her and kept her lying and kept her sick. More than ever, though, Gypsy was done with it. She wanted to break free. She wanted to fall in love. She had met Nick. She thought that there was really a future there with him. And 
she needed to get away from her mother, but she knew that Dee Dee would never let her go. So at that point, Gypsy and Nick devised a plan where Nick would murder Dee Dee and they would run away together to start a new life. And that is exactly what happened on that night in June. So after Dee Dee had fallen asleep, Gypsy let Nick into the house and she gave him a knife and duct tape. After that, she hid in the bathroom. She covered her ears. She didn't want to hear anything that was going to happen and especially not her mother's screams. Once Gypsy was hidden in the bathroom, Nick snuck into Dee Dee's room while she was asleep and he stabbed her in the back as she slept over and over, killing her. One of the more disturbing details is that after the murder, Gypsy and Nick had sex in Gypsy's room. Her mother had just been killed and she had sex with the person who did it. Not only that, but Nick confessed afterward to inappropriately touching Dee Dee after he had murdered her. Once Gypsy and Nick had sex, Gypsy basically took $4,000 in cash that she knew her mother had been hiding and the pair fled. They stayed in a local motel for a little bit of time, but then the pair made their way back to Nick's parents' house where he lived, uh, all the way up in Wisconsin. Police found Gypsy's second Facebook account, the one that she had kept secret from her mother, and they traced all of these messages between Nick and her and uncovered this entire plot to have Dee Dee killed. Anyone with a little bit of, you know, forensic background knows that police can trace IP address pretty accurately. And so they just looked at the IP address of the person that Gypsy had been talking to, Nick. They basically traced the IP address of Nick Godijohn, and they discovered that he had been making these messages from his parents' house inside their home in Big Bend, Wisconsin. So the police go to the home, they raid it, obviously, and they find Gypsy and Nick. They immediately bring them back to Springfield, they book them into custody right away, and begin questioning them. Dee Dee and Gypsy's neighbors at this point were totally relieved that Gypsy was safe, but they could not believe it when they were told that Gypsy could walk, she was in pretty good health, her mental capacity was not that of a child. You know, they had been completely hoodwinked by Dee Dee. They couldn't believe it. For years, they had been helping this pair out, thinking that Gypsy was basically incompetent and, and unable to care for thinking that Gypsy was completely unable to care for herself and that Dee Dee had to be there standing next to her all the time and making sure she didn't eat things that she shouldn't eat. But in reality, Gypsy was pretty healthy this whole time. So after some more digging, the investigators basically found that Dee Dee had manipulated Gypsy into following along with her cons. And Dee Dee would even physically abuse Gypsy to ensure that she followed along. Officially, it was determined that Dee Dee Blanchard had Munchausen's by proxy. This is also known as factitious disorder imposed on another. So essentially what this is, is it's a mental disorder that basically caused Dee Dee to become convinced that Gypsy was suffering from some sort of disease or disorder 
so that she needed constant care and Dee Dee was able to provide that care. Dee Dee would continuously bring Gypsy to different doctors until she could find one that would treat this made up ailment that Dee Dee had come across and that Dee Dee was convinced that Gypsy suffered from. Gypsy underwent treatment for literally dozens of disorders and diseases that she never suffered from. She had to have her teeth removed and she had undergone so many surgeries for literally no reason beyond Dee Dee's own disorder. Because Dee Dee had Munchausen by proxy, Gypsy had to go through so much even for a sick person to have to go through these treatments in order to get better, that's traumatizing in itself. But think about if you're healthy and your own mother makes you go through surgeries and going to hospitals all the time and taking medicine that makes you feel sick to the point that you have to have your teeth removed. It's just awful. So Gypsy was ultimately charged with second-degree murder in the death of her mother. The jury was pretty sympathetic towards Gypsy, which I think is a good thing, um, because of the years and years of abuse that she had endured at the hands of her mother. But they ultimately found her guilty, and she was sentenced to 10 years. A lot of the messages between Nick and Gypsy were used as evidence, and because there was pretty direct messages telling Nick exactly how to kill her mother and how they were going to how they were going to do it it would be pretty hard for a jury to find her not guilty at that point Nick Godijan was charged with first degree murder and the prosecutors argued that the murder plot was actually his idea in the first place and because he was the one that carried out the murder you know, there was no real speculation to that. Nick was the one who stabbed Dee Dee. He was the one that carried out the murder. So first degree murder was his charge. Nick's defense argued that he suffered from a mental disability and he was on the autism spectrum. So he was kind of limited in his ability to judge between right and wrong. And therefore he could not be found guilty of first degree murder. The jury in his case was less sympathetic towards Nick, and they ultimately found him guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. After her death, Dee Dee was not remembered fondly by her family. They had been super suspicious of Gypsy's health conditions, and they were outraged when it came out that Gypsy was actually relatively healthy and Dee Dee had been abusing her for decades. When Dee Dee's family received her ashes, they allegedly flushed them down the toilet. So they wanted absolutely nothing to do with her at that point. They didn't even want to scatter her ashes somewhere. You don't even have to get a headstone at that point. Just, you know, scatter them into the wind. But no, that was going to be too good for Dee Dee. They flushed her down the toilet. Gypsy's father, who hadn't been involved in her life since she was a very small child, was actually able to reconnect with her during her time in prison. In a 2018 interview with 2020, Gypsy said, quote, I feel like I'm more free in prison than with living with my mom, because now I'm allowed to just live like a normal woman, end quote. Think about that for a second. In Gypsy's mind, 
prison is more normal than living with her mother. Being in prison is less like a jail than living with her mother. Her entire life, she was told that she had to be sick, that she had to act a certain way, that she had to just be okay with this abuse. And so she welcomed prison at that point, and I don't blame her. It sounds just awful. Nick and Gypsy allegedly no longer have contact. Gypsy basically has said she wants nothing to do with him. Um, They don't talk anymore at all. But Gypsy overall is looking forward to starting her life over upon her release from prison. The house where Dee Dee was stabbed to death is still standing on West Volunteer Way. The wheelchair ramp that Gypsy used unnecessarily is still out front. Thank you for listening to Morbid Tourism Episode 2, The Blanchard Home. If you like this podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you really liked it, please leave us a rating. I would love to hear your feedback. I um, am very new to this, but I'm having a good time so far, and I hope that you like it. Uh, But if there's something that you think I could do better, I'm open to that feedback as well. So please reach out and let me know. I will be releasing new episodes weekly on Tuesdays. Between episodes, you can visit www.morbidtourism.com to learn more about morbid locations. You can also follow us on Instagram at morbidtourism. This podcast is researched, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jules Kruger. Sources for this episode include Wikipedia, Sword and Scale, and Mommy Dead and Dearest. 